Um, but I do want to invite us to just kind of sit at this table. I love that video um, that we showed of Thanksgiving and just sitting at the table together. And, and I always think of when we come together on Sundays as really just, you know, if we could vision it this way, if, 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 our, if this was a house, you know, we kind of come into the living room together and we come in here, we really are gathering around the table uh, and around Jesus uh, to discover really what he has to say to us. And so if you'll open up the book of Revelation with me, I want us to I want to define really what the book of Revelation is. It is the word of God through, through the apostle John, um, and it's God's story. And that story began in Genesis 1 with the creation of the world and the fall of man in the garden and the redemption through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his burial and resurrection. And then finally, the restoration of our world to what it was intended to be in the first place, which is what the book of Revelation is all about. But it's also wrapped in and the end of the story as a beginning, really, of Jesus coming and being king over the creation that he envisioned in the first place. When you go back to Genesis 1-1, you realize that Jesus was the word and, and he was there and he was in creation and created. And then we look at John 1-1 and we know, uh, based on that verse, that Jesus is the word of God. He is living and he is righteous and he is holy. And so today's a little bit of a freaky message. We're going to talk about locusts and dragons and beasts and 666 and all kinds of crazy things that maybe you've heard about. And there's 12 stars, there's 10 horns, there's seven heads, there's six wings, there's four bowls of incense, there's two olive trees and a partridge in a pear tree at the very end of all of this at Christmas. And so there's all kinds of really incredible, crazy creatures in this book of Revelation. Context of this is that it was written by John. He was the last living of the 12 disciples. Um, Judas, who took his own life, died that way. But the other 10 of the 12 all died martyrs' deaths for the cause of Christ. Because it wasn't just a cause. It was the reality that would shape and change our world right up and to the point where we changed from B.C. to A.D. because of it. Our entire world flipped upside down with Jesus and his ministry. And so 10 of those were willing to die for their faith. And I think we have to look at 10 or 12 guys who spent most of their lives with Jesus for those three years and say, man, if they were willing to die for it, there must have been something really real there. There must have been something really happening there for somebody to die for something. I don't know what you're willing to die for, but there's not a lot of things that are on that list for me that I would say, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd die for that um, or even die for you for that matter. So that's why we have a, that's why we have a safety team because they'll die for you and I can just sit here and be okay. So, um, but you know, it's, there, that's a short list, right? I mean, we think about the things that we would die for. There's, there's just not a lot of things there. And so John was one of the disciples who didn't die a martyr's death. He was about 62 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven when he wrote the book excuse me, of Revelation in 95 AD. He had been banished to the island of Patmos and lived there the rest of his days alone and, and ostracized from all of society. Um, and an angel came and gave him this revelation for this book that, that the Holy Spirit wanted him to write. And so in chapters 2 and 3, you can see these letters that were written from Jesus to the churches in Asia Minor. And we're going to just bust this out into kind of five sections this morning. Um, and, and the goal behind this is I want you to go read the book of Revelation. But I want you to read the book of Revelation in light of 
these five sections because it will begin to make more sense when we understand that it's about Jesus and it's for Jesus and ultimately written for us to understand some things. And so use these sections and these themes as you read through the book of Revelation and look at who Jesus is in each one of these sections. So we're going to jump right into section one, and this is going to be chapters one through three. So if you're taking notes, you can just outline this really quickly. This is where Jesus is the alpha and the omega in chapters one through three, and the scripture tells us that he is returning soon. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, last week we talked about the rapture. We talked about it being pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, and what that looks like. And if you're lost and confused and have no idea what I'm talking about, I encourage you to jump on our website, 3tfamily.com. You can pull up um, the podcast from last week and you can listen to, to what Brian talked about. It was very much a, a seminary class on what the rapture is and what it looks like. And it was a great um, context for what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to jump right into chapter 1, verse 7. But the theme of these three chapters is that Jesus is returning soon. Jesus is returning soon. So in verse 7 says, Look, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Not the first coming as a thief, not the rapture that we talked about last week, but the second coming of Jesus. And he comes with the church. Even those pierced with him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, uh, the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the, in the Greek alphabet, Alpha is at the very beginning. It's the first letter. And omega is the end. It's the last letter. So he is the, the, the start and the finish. He's the beginning and the end. Don't, and, and he says, don't worry about this book of Revelation because I've written the last page. And so keep that in mind that at the end of this, there's, there's this amazing hope that we come to at the end of this book. And so let's continue reading. Verses 14 and 15 say this. The hair on his head, this is talking about Jesus, was white like wool, as white as the snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Now you're thinking, how can he be holding seven stars in his right hand? Well, the book of Revelation is one of those books that we can't take everything literally because there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. And those stars are symbols of the seven angels of the seven churches that he writes about in chapters 2 and 3. So as you go read chapters 2 and 3, you'll see those seven churches and those seven angels that are part of that story. And coming out of his mouth was this sharp double-edged sword. Where else in Scripture do we read about a double-edged sword? Do you remember? It's the Word of God, right? So literally, that double-edged sword is his word, is his, what he speaks. And when we go back to Ephesians 6 and we look at the battle gear that we wear when we do battle against the enemy, right? Our enemy isn't flesh and blood. It's rulers and principalities in dark places. Our, our battle's never with each other. It's always with other people. And so he tells us to, put, to carry the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And we put on all of that. And you can read about that in Ephesians 6. And the word of God, and that's the word of God according to the book of Hebrews, all right? So this word of God that's coming out of Jesus' mouth is very much his word, which again, we go back to John 1, 1 and realize that he is the word and he was the word at the beginning and at the end. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, I want you to think about John, and we've talked about John before, but John was one of Jesus' closest confidants. He was called 
the disciple who Jesus loved. He had a relationship with Jesus like the other disciples didn't have. Jesus had the 12. He had an inner circle of three, but he had John, who was really very much his confidant. In fact, we read in Scripture that John would, would rest on his, on his shoulder after meals, and they would share time and talk together as they would share meals. He was close to Jesus, and he would recline with Jesus after dinner. And so John is his buddy, but when he comes... And as John is seeing this in this vision, he sees him as the Alpha and Omega and not as his best buddy coming back. He sees him as the Lord, and he falls on his face in awe. And so it gives us a really great picture of a man who not only walked with Jesus, but also understood the divinity of Jesus and that Jesus was the beginning and the end. And it says, then he placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. And this is key for all of this. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. And this is at the heart of the gospel, that he is the living one. He was dead, right? He was crucified on the cross. He was dead. He was buried. And there was no hope. Even the disciples doubted. But he came back on the third day and he rose from the grave. And so he is the living Christ, the living beginning and end. And he says, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I hold the keys. I am and have conquered death and hell. And because of this, I'm giving you this revelation because I want to build your faith. I don't want to build fear into you. I want to build faith into you. And that's what revelation should be for us when we read it through the lens of who Jesus is. It's very much faith building. It's very much about helping us to grow in our walk with Jesus. And so this first section, he's the Alpha and the Omega and the returning king. In section two, in chapters four and five, we read together that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. And the theme for these chapters is that Jesus is the Lamb of God worthy to open the scroll. Well, what does that mean? What are you talking about? What's the scroll? Well, God sits on his throne and Revelation tells us he holds a giant scroll. And this scroll has seven seals on it. And it's like his last will and testament. I don't know if you have a will done, but hopefully you do. But at the end of your life, when everything is all said and done, we have this last will and testament. This is what I want to have done. I have a, a good friend that I, that I uh, spend a lot of time with at uh, Panera in Blue Springs. I do a lot of studying there. I do a lot of reading there. And there's a gentleman there. Uh, that's in his 70s. His name's Paul, and we've become really good friends over the years. And um, he's got a son who spends his days at the Rainbow Center in Blue Springs, and that's for kids that are developmentally or, developmentally or physically disabled. And so Paul is 70 years old. Every morning he gets out of bed, and he loads his son in his wheelchair and puts him in his car and takes him to the Rainbow Center and comes sits at Panera for most of the day. And one of the things he's doing, and I really admire this, is he's writing his memoirs. He's writing his story for his grandchildren because he wants his grandchildren to know who he was and what his life was about. And this man has lived this crazy, extraordinary life. He was in the military, and he's, I don't know how many times he's almost died, but he's one of these guys like, I'm going to want to publish his memoirs because I want to read about him. Because the stories he tells are just, they're almost like tall tales, but you just know because of his passion in it that they're real. And that's very much what the book of Revelation is about. It's the last will and testament. It's his memoirs to us about what's to come and what's to happen. It's a declaration of the all, it's, all that is to come. And John wants to see 
this angel. Who's worthy to open this scroll? They look around and, and no one's worthy to open this scroll. And, this, and so the angel cries out, who is worthy to open the scroll? And the attention goes to Jesus, who is displayed as a lamb, who was slain, but lives. And John actually begins to panic and to cry in this, in this vision that he's having while he's watching all of this unfold because no one's worthy. And this lamb comes, and in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 6, we see it says this, Then I saw a lamb, Jesus, looking as if it had been slain. This was Jesus, slain for the forgiveness of our sins. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And we jump down to verse 9, and it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Only Jesus the rightful king who was legally the rightful king of the Jews and who is the rightful king to judge because he died and rose again. So he's legally and morally the one who is able to open these scrolls. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And what you have to understand is this is a powerful imagery for the readers of that time. If you look in context as the Old Testament was taught up to this time, they didn't have the New Testament, right? So it was still being written. It hadn't been given out. You couldn't go down to the local grocery store and get a copy of the Bible. So this was all things that they had been taught as they were growing up. So contextually, as you remember John the Baptist, as Jesus came to him to be baptized to begin his earthly ministry at 30 years old, and John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so his readers would have understood that, that this was who this powerful Lamb of God was that he's talking about here. And then to jump back even further to the Old Testament, if you remember the Passover, and the Passover was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do to cover our sins. In the, in the Passover, they would take and sacrifice a lamb, and they would take the lamb's blood and put it across and down the sides of their doorposts. And when you read about the Passover that happened as the death angel came through the camps and killed the firstborn of everyone in Egypt... He passed over those homes where the blood of that perfect sacrifice and lamb had been made, where that blood was dripping because it was a perfect sacrifice, which was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do on the cross for us. That that's on the doorposts of our lives, the blood that God sees when he looks at us, when we have received him as our Lord and Savior, that we're washed clean through the blood of the perfect lamb of Jesus who was slain for us and who rose again and conquered death. That's the imagery that those readers would have understand that we have to wrap our heads around to know what he's talking about here. The foreshadowing of the New Testament cross. And so Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, and he's also the Lamb of God who's worthy to open up the seal of God. In our third section, as we jump down to this, um, and this is where it gets crazy. So I would encourage you to go home tonight, read chapters 6 through 18, and have some really fun nightmares. Um, but don't call me. Okay, I don't, I don't want a text message through the moment. I, hey, I did what you told me to do and I can't sleep. Um, please don't do that. But this is where stuff gets wacky, all right? This is where we start talking about the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and 666. Um, and, and, and things get a little strange. So chapter 6 through 18, and if you're taking notes, this is what this chapter is about. It's the righteous judge. Chapter 6 through 18 is Jesus as the righteous judge. And the theme is this. Jesus righteously, righteously judges the earth. Jesus righteously judges the earth. Now, I don't know how many of you guys watch TV shows or have watched some of the prophetic guys with the big hair. Anybody a fan of those? 
those guys with the big hair that always want your money, but they know what's going to happen tomorrow, even though they've said Jesus is coming back about 14 times and been wrong every time, which I'm pretty sure makes them false prophets and people we shouldn't listen to. I'm just saying. Those guys are mostly reading out of Daniel chapter, the book of Daniel and Revelation chapter 6 through 18, trying to piece together and figure out what's going to happen. We don't know times. We don't know God's schedule. We don't know when God the Father is going to turn to the Son and say, Son, go get your bride. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place. We don't really know a timeline of all this, but we do know that this is what's going to happen. We do know that this is what's going to take place. In fact, I'd encourage you, if, you're, if you want to write this down, John MacArthur um, has um, some amazing resources on his website um, and some timelines and things that you can look up on, on, uh, on his page. I was reading through this week, and he's, he's got just incredible outside, insight. He's an amazing Bible teacher. And so what we know through, and I'm going to give you some high points of what happens in these chapters. We're going to kind of bust through this quickly. But the temple in Israel is rebuilt in chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. So we know at some point during this that the temple in Israel gets rebuilt. We know that the Antichrist, who's also known, with, known as the beast, rises and institutes the mark of the beast. And so you can use those words interchangeably. You won't find the word Antichrist in Revelation, but you will find the word beast. And so those are one and the same, the Antichrist and the beast, and that he rises and institutes the mark of the beast. This is where we get the idea that 666 is tattooed somewhere on people's bodies to allow you to buy things, to allow you to function in society, that if you don't take this mark of the beast, that you're not able really to, to eat, drink, function at all in society. And so this beast rises and does this. The Antichrist is killed and raised back to life in Revelation 13, verses 3 and 4. God appoints two witnesses to perform miracles and preach in Revelation chapter 11. This is a really fun chapter. Uh, in chapter 11, these guys are kind of, they're just kind of, they're kind of rock and roll stars. Um, they would be killed. They would also be raised to life. These guys were cocky. They had the power of God. Um, and they, they are able to issue plagues. They can shut up the heavens. They can shut down the rain. Um, and... They're unkillable. And so they, they defend themselves. You just go check it out. Read chapter 11 of Revelation. It's a, it's a super fun chapter. It's kind of like Marvel um, as these guys kind of play out. It's, it's pretty cool. And then the witnesses are murdered, but they're raised back to life. In 11, 3 through 13, we know that the Antichrist assassinates the world leaders and moves towards a one world government. That's not just something that's made up by Glenn Beck and all of his craziness. But it really is a thing. There really is a one world government that will come, that will be taken over. Uh, in Daniel 7.24, you can read about that, as well as Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 and 13. We know that the Antichrist is defeated at the Battle of Armageddon. Amen? He does not win. I love the end of this book. Revelation 16, 16 through 19, tells us about the Battle of Armageddon. And as you read through all of this, you'll realize that Jesus is a righteous judge. And there's three judgments that come through the course of this, and I'm going to hit them quickly. The first one is the seal judgments. This is in Revelation 6, chapters 8, verses 1 and 2. This is where the four riders of the apocalypse come. This is where the moon turns to blood red. Some of this maybe you've heard of, maybe some of this you haven't heard of. Uh, there's tremendous bloodshed from war that's taking place around the globe. And a quarter of the world dies from famines, plagues, and wild beasts. Now, I don't know what kind of wild beasts those are, but I do know I don't want to be here when that happens. 
And all of this is taking place during that seven-year tribula tribulation that we talked about last week. So there's, there's either the return of Christ at the beginning of, of the tribulation, which we all hope and pray for, that we're peace out when all this takes place, right? And then there's the thought that there's the mid-trib where we get captured in the middle of that. So there's three and a half years of peace where this Antichrist rises up and makes peace with the world. And then at the middle point, all hell breaks loose, literally. That's where all of this stuff takes place in that last three and a half years. And so, again, listen back through last week. But mid-tribulation believes that at that three and a half year mark, that's where Jesus comes back to rapture us. Or there's the belief that at the end of the tribulation, that's when Jesus comes back to rapture his church, which is sort of moot because that's when he comes back to reign for a thousand years. So we really don't know the timeline of that. I would say that I would default. I believe Brian would say the same thing, that we probably will be, and I prayerfully, hopefully, raptured at the beginning of the tribulation before all of this stuff takes place. So let me continue to read about that. So that's the sealed judgments, that the world, a quarter of the world dies from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. And then there are what's called the trumpet judgments, the trumpet judgments. These are in Revelation 8.2 through 9.21 and 11.15 through 19. And I'm just going to step back here just for a second. I'm giving you a lot of stuff here. So I'm going to make this available this week and you can download it. I'll, I'll, we'll send out a link on our website and I'll give you all of this and you can download it if you want to do some further study. And I hope you do because I think you'll just find this enlightening, fascinating as you unpack Revelation this way. So I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff and I'm giving it to you quickly because there's turkey cooking downstairs. So I realize I've got you for, for a short amount of time. So the trumpet judgments are in Revelation 8 and 11. They have hail and fire mixed with blood falling from the sky. Poisonous locusts. Now, I freaking hate locusts. Does anybody else hate locusts? They're creepy. I don't know, I don't know what God was thinking. It's one of my questions. But why did you make locusts? Those things lay on the ground in their shells and you step on them and they crack and they creak and it's like, what? And they're loud and obnoxious and anyway, I just don't like locusts. So I can't imagine poisonous locusts like creeping around all over the place and attacking me. No, no, no thank you. So we read about a third of the vegetation on earth is destroyed. We read that a third of the sea animals die. We read that a third of the water is contaminated. We read that a third of the light is lost. And we read that a third of the world is killed. Do you begin to catch a theme of a third of everything happening through these chapters during what's called the trumpet judgments? Now, let me be clear that all during this time, people can still have a chance to repent. Scripture tells us that there's still a chance to turn to Jesus. But I'm just saying I wouldn't wait. That's, I'm just going to put that out there. The bold judgments are the next ones. This is the third of the judgments. Revelation 16, 1 through 21. This is where sores on people begin to appear with the mark of the beast. Where water turns to blood and everything in it dies. Where the sun scorches people. Where huge earthquakes hit. Hailstorms with hundred pound hailstones. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Day After Tomorrow. I know it's one of Macy and I's favorite movies. I, Joe, I see you. Like, it's such a great movie, The Day After Tomorrow, and there are these massive hailstones that fall in this movie and kill people. Like, I mean, they just bust their heads. You should really go watch it. It's really, really an uplifting movie. Um, maybe read some scripture after, but um, it's, it's just a really great movie. I mean, these, these hailstones, can you imagine 100-pound hailstones falling to the earth? That's going to destroy some stuff. Like, ice is serious when it's big, right? I mean, I mean, the last time we had some hail at our house, I think it was like that big around, and I was really glad my truck was in the garage, but 
Man, that stuff does some damage, doesn't it? I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars. We're talking new roofs. We're talking, you know, new tops to our cars and all that stuff with just small hailstones. A hundred pound hailstones begin to hit. And you may think to yourself, well, this sucks. <laughs> no thanks. Um, and it's true. And it's, and I'd even say it's not fair. Um, but let me remind you, and let me just kind of make this personal. Has anybody ever hurt you and got away with it? Has anybody ever done something to you and they just keep going on about their lives and you're standing there like bleeding all over the floor? Or maybe you know some people who've been hurt by somebody. Or maybe you know some people who have suffered tragedy that just wasn't fair at the hands of somebody and they, they got off um, and didn't get the punishment that maybe we felt like they deserved. Well, that's what's happening in the book of Revelation. This is God judging the world and the earth. And the principle that's here is that we know, and we've all done things probably that we've gotten away with. And sometimes there's no penalty, there's no payment, there's no reconciliation. Um, I can remember uh, something that hit a little bit close to home not that long ago. If you remember, there was a, a gentleman that was shot on 40 Highway by another guy who got mad at him. Um, it was actually friends of one of my, one of my kids. And uh, the guy went to trial and didn't get nearly what anybody thought he should have gotten because he plead out. Well, this is, this is what this is about. This is when it's not fair. God says, I am a just God. I am a righteous God. I will judge the earth and those who refuse to turn to me and follow me. We know that the world's going to be punished. And when we think about it in that reality, it's God judging the world for its sinfulness. Revelation 16.5, as we're in this section, says... Then I heard an angel in charge of the waters say, You are just, talking to Jesus, in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. And so scripture tells us that Jesus is just, that God is just in these judgments. So section one is he's the Alpha and Omega. Section two, he's the Lamb of God. Section three, he's the righteous Lamb. And section four is chapters 19 and 20. And these talk about Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is when, thematically, he returns for his church. With his church, excuse me. He returns with his church. This is when the thousand-year reign begins. So 1911 says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there were before me a white horse. How many know that all good guys come on a white horse? Hey, Tonto, Right? The, the Lone Ranger was always on a white horse. All the good guys ride white horses. Jesus is no different. He's going to ride this amazing white horse in. And this, white, this rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. So John 1, 1, let me back up and remind you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh in the person of Jesus, right? So verse 14 says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. So they all get to ride, maybe we all get to ride on white horses. Amen? Amen. All right, come on now. Can't hear you. White and clean, coming out of his mouth, is a sharp sword, which is what? The Word of God. With which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. Say it with me. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Say it again. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will conquer and he will win. Amen? That's faith building. That shouldn't scare us. That ought to hype us up, man. We ought to walk out of here and just, whoo, let's go. Let's do this thing. Remember the sign above Jesus' head. Do you remember looking back <coughs> when Jesus died on the cross? Does anybody remember what the sign above his head said? The king of the Jews. Mocking him. And he'll come back with this written on his leg. Yeah, you mock me, but I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I am the rightful, not only king of the Jews, but king of the world. He's not a candidate. Nobody gets to vote for him. He is the king of kings forever. And amen. And so we read Revelation and who light of Jesus is. The Alpha and Omega. The Lamb of God. The righteous judge. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And fifthly, chapters 21 and 22 talk about the end. And the, the idea here is that the bride is that he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. That Jesus takes us to his heavenly city. Chapter 21 verse 9 says this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride. This is us. This is the church. This is the people who have decided to follow Jesus and give him our heart and lives to receive the Holy Spirit and be filled, to be forgiven once and for all for our sins, to call in the name of Jesus and to be saved and to say, I believe who you said you are. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I choose to follow you today. This is for those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is the new heaven and the new earth. Scripture tells us that the earth gets burned up. And it doesn't get burned up in a way that he has to make a new earth. Why would he do that? He burns it up in a way that's a refiner's fire. He burns it up in a way that purifies the earth and makes it right again. That the earth no longer groans, as the book of John tells us, for, for the righteousness of God to be again. He says that the earth groans for it. It no longer groans. It's purified and it's made right. And Jesus the, and comes down from in with this new Jerusalem, with this, this new city that would be the command center of God for the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus comes back and he takes us to this place where there's no mourning, where there's no crying, where there's no pain where there's this new heaven and we get to live in the righteousness and the rightness of God and everything is made right as it was meant to be at the beginning of time, that's a promise that I can grab onto. That's something that I can hang onto and know what an amazing end of the story. Verse 23 says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. There's no need for external light, because the light comes from God the Father and His Son as the Holy Spirit indwells. We get to be a bride for the King of Kings. We get to stand clean through the blood of Jesus. How many of you have been to a wedding recently? Anybody? I hate weddings. Um, I'm just saying, I hate weddings. They just take up my whole weekend, and it's just, you know, you get this bridezillas and their mother in laws who can't be nice to anybody. Anyway, I just don't like weddings. But anyway, the point is. If, you, if you're standing at the altar, this is where Jesus stands with God the Father. I want you to just envision this is amazing. 
Here's God the Father who says, Son, go get your bride. And as Jesus stands, and I don't know how many of you have seen, or maybe you as, as, as husbands, when you first saw your bride standing in her white, beautiful, amazing wedding dress at the back of the auditorium, and you were all verklempt, right? And we're men, so we don't cry. Well, some of us don't. And, 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 we, and we see our bride for the first time. And she comes to us, and that white representing purity and holiness, and I'm giving myself to you for the rest of my life. There's no more broken. There's no more divorce. There's no more, there's none of that. Jesus comes and gets us as his bride, as his perfect washed clean bride through the blood of Jesus and takes us into his arms and takes us home. Amen. We get to go home to this place where there's no more suffering, where we don't lose our spouses, where children don't die, where homes aren't broken, where people don't live under bridges, where justice and righteousness reign supreme. That's hope. That's truth. That's Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that's good stuff. Great stuff. 22 verse 17 says this. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take this free gift and the water of life come. The invitation still stands open today for us to come and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If we're thirsty, he offers us living water. If we're hungry, he says, I'm the bread of life. You'll never thirst again. You'll never hungry again. If you're spiritually parched and you know it and you're searching, Jesus says, all you have to do as I stand here with my hand outreached is to grab it and say yes to me today. To come as we are to the grace of Jesus. To become new. That everything passes away. And behold, everything becomes new. It's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic pill that we take. It's, a, it's an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who changes us from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us right and righteous to stand in his presence. And I would say this morning, if you have never done that, my prayer for you is that in this moment, in this day, that you would receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive all of this. Because the reality is this, as harsh as it might sound, when we refuse to follow the God of the universe, all the bad stuff that's here is our future. Whether we like it or not. The only way out of and around this is through receiving and accepting the blood of Jesus for our lives. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to make you nervous or uncomfortable. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I want to challenge us to step into the light of Christ's reality in our lives. The last verse of Revelation, the last couple of verses say this in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Our response 
Just like we sang last week, even so come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so the question I have for us is what do we do with this series? What do we do with what we've talked about the last three or four weeks? What do we do with the chaos in our world? What do we do with the wars and the rumors of wars? What do we do with the people and the rapture and the Antichrist and the beast and the judgments? What should those cause us to do? Well, for those of us in Jesus, it should cause us to have hope in the Lord Jesus who conquers all of that. And for those of us who don't, it really ought to scare the hell out of us. Because I know I don't want that for my future, and I certainly don't want it for yours. How do we respond? Jesus says, I'm coming, coming soon. And verse 21 closes with this. The grace, the grace that's new every morning, the grace that's sufficient for us, that the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And he closes with amen or let it be. When we read the book of Revelation, there should not be fear. It should introduce us to the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the righteous judge, the bridegroom that comes to take us forever to be with him in the perfect heaven and earth that he's made for us, just as it was intended to be in the garden at the beginning of Genesis. He says, may the grace of God be with God's people forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, the hope that you've given us, the life that you've given us through your son is an amazing promise. It's a promise of a life to come and a life lived now more abundantly because you're in it. Father, I pray that there's not one of us here this morning that would not be at the back of the chapel when you return to get your bride. That there's not one of us sitting in these seats this morning or listening online that would walk out of here this morning without the assuredness that they know you, that they have received you, and that you have made them righteous and holy in your eyes. So as we sit in this moment and focus. My question is this, who are you living for? Who are you living for? What are you living for? Are you living for the moment or are you living for the hope of eternity yet to come? Are you prepared if he came back today? Are you ready? And for those of us who would call ourselves Christ ones, what we do with this series is we get a sense of urgency about us. That there are people who need to know the good news of Jesus, who need to understand the story of God from creation to the fall of man to sin, to the redemption that Jesus offered on the cross, and to the return of the conquering king. That Jesus, our faith is built because of the truth and the reality of your word. And so I just want to I just want to pray with us. If that's you this morning, we don't do this often. But if that's you this morning and you've never received Jesus 
as your Lord and Savior. You sit here this morning and you really take inventory of your life. If you'll just mute those choir channels, that'll go away. As you sit here and evaluate your life, have you ever really stood You know what? Can you just turn it off? Just mute it all, please. Here's what I know. The enemy stands in opposition to everything we've talked about here this morning. The enemy doesn't want us to go and take back our world. And the enemy doesn't want you to come to Jesus. And so every eye looking right here, if that's you this morning and you want to know more about what it is to walk with Jesus, to receive him, to follow him, to, to get all of this great stuff that's coming, because you're just not sure, would you just find me after the service? I'd love to share with you. Maria's here, Joe's here. If that's something you'd like to just talk about this morning, would you please, I, would you please not leave this morning without nailing down that you know, that you know, that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior.